0: I will be in 1 Corinthians 12 today, if you'd like to follow along. I'm going to be reading the first 27 verses, but really focusing on a smaller section, a smaller subset of this passage. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. the body does not consist of one member but of many, Every sermon. I stand here preaching to me, not just to you. I do stand here and preach to you as well, but my first audience is me. In this passage today, I'm really, really preaching it to me because I've been convicted that I fall quite short in this part of the passage that I'm going I'm to preach on today. I fall so short of what's instructed here, and if I as an elder expect you all to do what this passage says, I ought to be doing it as a leader I shouldn't be expecting you all to do something that I'm not doing myself. So I ought to be doing it first, and I haven't been doing it as well as I think Scripture wants us to, and I ask forgiveness for that. And I need to hear this sermon, but more so I need to be doing this sermon. And this won't be a sermon on all 27 verses, but in our time together in this hour, I'm going to spend it in verses 21 through 27 and I'd like to make a few comments on the context here of 21 through 27 first. And it's interesting, I think that in 40 years of being a Christian and hearing a few sermons in my day, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on these verses. I've heard plenty on 12 through 27 generally, but 21 through 26, especially in 21 through 27, can get overlooked. I was looking in... Tom Schreiner's New Testament theology today. Tom Schreiner, I love Tom Schreiner as a writer. New Testament theology is this thick, it's 700 pages, and I'm looking at the Scripture index in the back of his New Testament theology, and I'm looking for the citations from 1 Corinthians 12, and he's got every verse in 1 Corinthians 12 cited in his New Testament theology except verses 21 through 27. Uh, I was I was startled when I saw that. So, but that's where we're going to be, twenty one through twenty-seven today. What's going on here? Paul's just finished a rebuke in chapter eleven. The Corinthians have not been behaving well at the Lord's Supper. Verse 17 of chapter eleven says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better, but for the worse. That statement about not commending the matters, of course, just like everything he says, but it matters in this sense because he had just commended them in the first part of what we know is chapter 11. Verse 2 of chapter 11, he says, quote, "...they remembered him in everything, even as Paul had delivered to them what he had delivered to them." He commends them in verse 2 of chapter 11. So you've got this contrast. You've got a commendation in verse 2 of chapter 11. You've got him not commending them in chapter 11, verse 17. Then he moves to chapter 12. He doesn't want them to be uninformed concerning the matter of spiritual gifts. And he speaks on the gifts through verse 11. And then he goes into this metaphoric illustration of the church at Corinth and how it is a body, a physical body, using that to illustrate his point. And he's going to use our physical body to show us what he means when he wants to talk about life within the church. And that's just what I read here in this passage. And then he's going to pick up, if we were to continue on in chapter 12, he continues his discussion of the spiritual gifts. Then he finishes that by saying he wants to show them a more excellent way. And what is the more excellent way? It's the way of love. Chapter 13. Then in chapter 14, he shows us really what love does not look like as he he calls out the church for their behavior during their church meetings, just like he did back in chapter 11. So what we have is sort of a sandwich here. We've got we've got the bread on both sides. We've got chapter 11, the last half where he's rebuking them for their behavior at the supper. And part of that bread also is the discussion of spiritual gifts. Then we've got the discussion of the body. Then he goes back to the spiritual gifts for the bread again, and part of the bread again is his... It is 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 going to chapter fourteen, where he's talking about what they're doing as a church, and it's not going well. But what's the meat of the sandwich? The meat is chapter thirteen. Because he wouldn't have to write the last half of chapter eleven. He wouldn't really have to write his caution on the spiritual gifts. He wouldn't necessarily probably have to write what he writes about the body in chapter 12. He wouldn't have to write at the end of chapter 12 about the gifts. He wouldn't have to write chapter 14 if they'd have been loving one another rightly. And that's sort of a theme throughout the book. You go back to all the stuff that's going on in the church at Corinth. If they would have been doing chapter 13, he probably wouldn't have had to write very much of what he wrote starting in the last half of chapter 1. Because they, they started off in chapter 1. You know it. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. Jealousy and strife in chapter 3, and he goes on. If they had been loving one another rightly in the life of the church, he wouldn't have had to write such things. So, as he's doing this, we can't separate the discussion in verses 12-27 through 27 of chapter 12 about the church being a body. We can't separate that from what He says about spiritual gifts right before it and right after it. We can't separate it from the rebuke at the end of chapter 11. We can't separate it from what He says to them in chapter 14. And we can't separate it from what He says about love in chapter 13. because he he had asked a rhetorical question in chapter 11 as he's writing about the Lord's Supper. He says, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Seems as though there was some economic division within the church. People who had some or much and people who don't have much or anything at all. Rich and poor. And it got reflected in the way that they behaved at the Lord's Supper and it caused division. If chapter 13 would have been implemented, do you think he would have had to write that? I don't think so. So that's why he's writing chapter 13. Chapter 13 is what expands out before chapter 13, and it goes after chapter 13 as well. But that's all part of the discussion here in chapter 12, the issue of love. Then, Paul also goes to the issue of oneness if you look at verse 12 of chapter 12. The body is one. The church at Corinth is to be one. And all the members of the church are one body. In one spirit, they were all baptized into one body. They were all made to drink of one spirit. The idea and the concept of oneness matters within the life of the church. You think about what the Scripture says about God being one. God is one. There's unity. There's perfect unity in the oneness of God. Jesus says he and his father are one in John chapter 10. You have Israel with the Shema, the prayer that they utter in Deuteronomy 6 The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You have James in James chapter 2 telling his audience that you guys believe that God is one. And even the demons believe that God is one it's not saying that there is one God. James 2 says that God is one. There's unity, perfect unity and harmony within the Godhead. And the demons shudder at what they believe. But oneness is what he wants to go to here in 1 Corinthians 12. So there's application here. Just as God is one, think about other elements of our lives where oneness is described. What about marriage? Man and woman become one by their marriage union. The church becomes one, as he says here in 1 Corinthians 12. Our model for being one, of course, is Father, Son, and Spirit because they are perfectly one. So, let's go here in our, in our section in 1 Corinthians 12. Let's go to verse 21 because that's, that's where we're going to spend our time in verses 21 through 27 today. He's just said right before that, in verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. God knew what He was doing when He made a physical body for us. He did. Remember, it was good. Not just good, it was very good. So He's got this physical body He's, he's given us and He's going to use what He has done to make a point about life within the church here. So, verse 21. One from the head to the feet. A statement from up top down to the bottom. One part of the body cannot say to one another, any other part of the body, I don't need you. God God has not created our physical bodies with what might appear to be vestigial organs. Now, a vestigial organ is, is, a, is an organ or, or vestigial member is a part of the body that serves no purpose. There is no such thing as a true vestigial organ in our bodies. Yes, even your appendix serves a purpose. It does. And there's nothing vestigial about the body of Christ either within the life of the local church. There are no vestigial organs or vestigial members within the body locally. Locally or even within the greater body of Christ, the church universal. There are no vestigial people here. There are no people who have nothing and no purpose and, and, and have nothing to give or be as part of a local body. Everyone here matters. That's where he's going in this passage is that we all do matter. And so he makes that statement in verse 21. He, he, he poses that. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. What he does is he takes that and he applies a contrary response to it. Verse 22. Now, our eyes might think in the hierarchy of how the body works, they're pretty doggone important. (laughs) Our eyes can be prideful (laughs) because our eyes could say, well, you know, I, I don't think we really need that big toe. Our eyes could say, I don't think we need these things that stick out too far on the side of your head. We can get along just fine without those. You can hear without this. Well, no. You could see a hand saying, you know, a hand could say, I don't think that eyebrows matter. I don't think that eyelashes matter. I'm important. I'm a hand. I matter more. And Paul wants to stop that train of thought right now. He's using this metaphor of the body to make his point here. He says that what we need to pay attention to is what he's going to say is, verse 23, the parts of the body that we think less honorable. What does he say? He says those parts of the body that we know are less honorable, we bestow greater, upon, greater honor upon them. The parts of the body that we know are weaker are indispensable. I hope if you are looking at your Bible, you said that's not what it says because it's not what it says. He doesn't say we know that they are weaker. He doesn't say we know that they are less honorable. He says they seem to be weaker. He says we think less honorable. What's he doing here? He's going to a problem with us who make that judgment because our discernment is not right if we think that way. Do we have weaker parts in our physical bodies? Do we have parts that are less honorable? Do we have parts that we treat with greater modesty? Go back to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve eat. Adam and Eve realize they're naked. They seek to cover themselves. I don't think you get the sense that as they were seeking to cover themselves, they were covering their elbows. Okay. You get it about what Paul's talking about here. But where's he going with all of this? He's going to loving people within the church. He's going to loving everybody within the church, even people who we think less honorable. Are they less honorable? No, they are not less honorable. The problem is is that when we think certain people within the church are less honorable, the problem is, is that when we... When when we think that certain people within the church are unpresentable, he wants us to love people. He wants us to love all the parts of the body of Christ. He says parts of the body seem to be weak, but what does he say about them? If they seem to be weak, does Paul tell us get them out of the way? So that the stronger people can do what they gotta do. Paul says those weaker parts are indispensable. Another translation says essential. What does he mean when some what do you what do we mean when something is indispensable? You can't do without it. Paul says those people, remember, these are people he's talking about here, using the metaphor of parts of a body. Paul is saying that people who seem to us to be weaker or who would seem to us to be unpresentable, they're indispensable. You can't get rid of them without it causing a problem, without the body working rightly. So the issue is not with the people who seem to be weaker. or The issue is not with them. The issue is with... People like us, people like me who might look at somebody and go, well, you know, they're, they're this. And, and, and you, you cop an attitude about them. And I know cop an attitude's a little bit pejorative, but it is. It's meant to be. Scripture doesn't speak that way about how we're supposed to look at people sitting in this room who identify with this church. Who, seem, who seems to be weaker to us? Okay, let's get real here. Who seems to be weaker? Well, clearly it's you all who sit in the back half of the room. Okay, because the holy folks sit up front. <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> Where you sit is not your definition of a Christian. <laughs> it's just a chair. It's just a chair. And, and I mean, if God forbid any of us ever think that, that because we sit up front, we're more holy than the people who sit. Come on. Let's be real. Don't think that way. How about this? Well, you know, those people who don't go downtown on Friday nights, they're weaker. The holy people go downtown on Friday nights. You, know, you want a real-life example of this? We had a guy in the prison ministry in Michigan. He would tell people. He would tell people, if you don't go into a prison, you're not a Christian. Uh, I, I don't seem to read Romans 5.1 to say, therefore, having been justified by going into Chippewa Correctional Facility, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But there are... It's don't say it's impossible to have that mindset because I know a man who has that mindset. And whether it's overt or covert, whether it's something we just have in the back of our mind, we gotta be careful here. You know, the true Christians go downtown on Friday night. Or the true Christians, the real Christians get passports and go overseas. And you know, we we can we can do without the people who if they leave, if they leave it's no big loss because they're not going here or there paul says stop it paul says they're indispensable even if they never go anywhere we say they seem weaker paul says they're indispensable maybe some people are never going to stand up here on a wednesday night and talk about what happened overseas paul says they're indispensable Not me. Paul writing the breathed out words of the Spirit of God. This is divine instruction here for us. Oh, they don't preach. Paul says they're indispensable. Even worse than that, you know, they sit in the back row every week. Paul says they're indispensable. According to the Spirit of God. And you know what? Some of those people that we can have an attitude about that we think they do nothing, you know what? They may be doing things that you don't see and I don't see. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an example by partially outing one of the brethren. <laughs> um, I checked in a while ago to see how they were doing. They said okay. Then they tell me about something that they do in this building every week. And there's only one person in this building every week who knows they do it. They do it to help one person every week. Where they do that and how they do it, you never see it. And I don't see it either. And I didn't know about it until I was told about it. But they do it. Do we bring that person up here and have them tell us what they're doing? No, they do it in anonymity. What does the Spirit of God say about that person? They're indispensable. And the passage also goes to this matter of our unpresentable parts being treated with greater honor. One example here. Our church is getting older. When we got here nine years ago, we were meeting in Mark's restaurant. I really believe back then I could have counted the number of people over 50 years old on both hands and had some fingers left over. I mean, there weren't even that many people over 50 then. Craig wasn't even 50 then. Tim wasn't even 50 then. (laughs) Well, look around. Things are different today. You know what? We get older, things start to break down. Now, we we have an exception to the rule in this young man sitting in the front row. Not everyone ages as well as this young man here. Okay. Okay. So we have to deal with the way people really age. It gets harder to walk. It gets harder to get up. It gets harder to do a lot of things. The things that you take for granted when you're younger, they're just more difficult. That I, I make jokes about it, but it's true. I'll tell you what, the ground's a lot farther away than it was thirty years ago when I bend over. <laughs> Gravity's a lot stronger when I want to stand up. That's that's the sensation. But things happen. You know, our bodies break down. You need a cane, you need a wheelchair. You just can't get up sometimes. You're in pain all the time. Do those people over time become unpresentable because they now have physical limitations that they didn't have before? Be careful. Be careful how we think about about this sort of thing. Scripture says we're supposed to give them greater honor if they're unpresentable parts. So what do we do with people? Do we just look past people like they're not there? Do we do we think they should be doing this or that? And and even more so, do they think that do I think that they should be doing this or that and I don't know what struggles they have, maybe even standing up to get out of a chair. The problems with me because I haven't found out that they've got a struggle to stand up and get out of a chair. So it's a real-life application here of what he's talking about. Think about what James talks about in James chapter 2. And the sin of partiality. Do we treat our unpresentable parts of this church or what we might think are the unpresentable parts of this church with the same honor that we treat guest speakers? Men come here and speak at the conference and then they come here. Do we treat people who would be perceived as unpresentable in this room with the same honor that we treat guest speakers. It's right here, brethren. Does it say, well, except when? No, it doesn't say except when. It says we're just supposed to do it. And even more, it says I'm supposed to do it. And even to go to Clayton's message last week, how about those who don't speak the same language as us? I mentioned at our elders and deacons meeting Monday that I wrestled over the years with whether or not I should learn Greek or Spanish. <laughs> and sadly, I haven't learned either one of them. Now, my, my, my high school Spanish from 51 years ago okay, hasn't served me very well. <laughs> I, I tried to say something at work once and got laughed at because that little wavy thing over an n. We got taught it was a tilde. And they said, what? I said, it's a tilde. I said, that's what they taught us in high school. And they literally laughed at me and said, Jeff, it's an enye. Okay. But, you know, how, mu- how much Spanish do I know? I, I know poquito. Okay. <laughs> how much Greek do I know? Sure, I can go alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, theta, iota, kappa, lambda, mu, nu, and go on through the alphabet and that. But do I know Greek? No. So I haven't learned either one of them. But I'm thinking to serve the congregation better at 65 years old, I ought to start working on my Spanish. Um, Because I can learn Greek, but if I can't have a conversation with somebody here, it's Greek to them. (laughs) It, it just is. I mean, I mean, you know, and, and, and go, going to Clayton's Point last week, we were invited over to the Ibarra's house last October for fellowship and real Mexican food. And it was real good. And so was the fellowship. Well, I mentioned afterward to Diego Medina that we had been there, and Diego goes, Oh, did Azael make you his cebiche And I said, he makes ceviche? He says, yeah, he does. He says, it's really, really good. Now, now, have I been as diligent as I should have been in getting back over there? Not just for the food, okay? (laughs) But for him and his wife. They're loyal. They're here every Sunday. Now, if the speech is good, it's a bonus. <laughs> but have I overlooked them? Have I considered them unpresentable? In one sense, yeah. I haven't paid enough attention to them. And that's on me. You know, And I'm not saying everybody here has my problem, but I would just ask that we all examine ourselves. And it goes beyond dealing with people who speak another language. It goes beyond people who we may consider unpresentable in other ways. Or people whom we think are weaker in other ways. And what's, what's the bigger point here? The bigger point is verse 25. That there be no division in the body. No division means unity. You know that the devil loves nothing more than division to happen within the body of Christ. And the Satan, Satan is even going to love that which is good and holy to try and divide God's people. In our Bibles, the man, the human, who writes our author of spiritual gifts is Paul. Paul. Paul gives us a representative list of spiritual gifts at the beginning of this chapter. He gives us he goes back to it at the end of the chapter. He gives us a list of people with gifts in Ephesians chapter 4. He gives us a list of gifts in Romans chapter 12. But the overriding element even as you're talking about all of these spiritual gifts is verse 7 in chapter 12. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. To each. Every regenerate person, a Christian, has been given eternal life by a free gift of God, has a spiritual gift. To each means to each. And it's for the common good of this body of verses 12 through 27. God has gifted you, brother, sister, in some way for the good of everybody else who meets here. I mean, I've been in meetings recently where people think that they have nothing to offer the body. And it's sad because they do. And you start asking questions and it turns out they do have things to offer the body. But they're looking at what they have to offer the body as insignificant as opposed to somebody who stands up here for 53 minutes on a Sunday morning. Get that out of your head if that's the way you're thinking. What you have to offer this body matters. And God has given you something as a free gift. It's a gift of grace. The word behind this, the spiritual gift, it has to do with charis, C-H-A-R-I-S in English. For it is by grace you have been saved. For it is by charis you have been saved. The spiritual gift that you have is a gift of grace given to you by God, and you have it. Now, what what is my responsibility? What is your all responsibility here? It's to, be, it's to be involved with people and help that gift come out so they can exercise it. Encourage people to exercise their gift. So what if they never preach a sermon? That person who does what they do every week here in anonymity, it matters. It's part of a gift that God has given them. So what, it doesn't matter whether you're... You have something given to you by God through His Spirit, for the common good of everybody who calls Grace Community Church their home fellowship. Everybody. Even those that some might look upon or I might look upon as an unpresentable part or those who are weaker. Everybody has a gift. And Paul wants to go to this issue of no division because, again, You can't separate what comes before this and after this. You get the sense of what was going on here with the discussion of spiritual gifts, and especially you can get into chapter 14, that some people thought, well, we've got this gift, these people have this gift, this gift matters more. These people are more important. These people are more Christian. They've reached a higher level because they've got this gift. Paul doesn't want us to think like that. Paul wants us to go back to Galatians 3.28, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, nor slave nor free. We are all one in Christ. He wants us to go there in Ephesians 4, I believe, when he writes down for us about the giving of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. What are those five people with those gifts, those characteristics to do there to equip the saints for ministry? For the common good. And he also writes, just like he does in chapter 12, about one. Ephesians 4, he talks about one body, one spirit, one baptism, one hope, one faith, one God and Father. And right before that, he had just written about his eagerness for the Ephesians to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace with no division. In both Ephesus and Corinth, that was Paul's desire, that they be unified even as spiritual gifts are being exercised. So I believe that we can truly say the same thing Paul said to the Corinthians. He writes it in verse 27. To you all who meet here, to us who identify with Grace Community Church, quote, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Metaphors, once again, do matter. And so do those people whom God says are indispensable. So do those people whom God says we are to treat with greater honor. It's because we are one. One body. One body, the body of Christ. And we are all members of it. God help us all here. Let's pray. Father. Father again, I ask for forgiveness in my falling short with regard to what I just told myself for forty minutes. Father, we, we need help from your spirit. Father, we still fight, we still fight and wrestle against wrong judgment, wrong discernment, thinking ourselves better or thinking of other people lesser than us. Father. I look forward to the age when that will not be an element of our lives anymore. But we live in this age where it is. Father, help us all as the body of Christ to be united as one. One Spirit, one baptism, one body, one faith, one God, one Lord. In Christ's name, Amen.